Hey everybody, what is going on? This is your boy Christian Israel and you are tuned into the New Creation Capital Podcast. This is the place where we discuss what happens in the world today, the stock market, and yes, digital assets. Where we go one, we go all. This is a new you, a new future, and a new creation, guys. Happy Tuesday. It is June 6th. I am redoing this intro specifically for my audio podcast people, okay? On YouTube, the audio is messed up because my mic was not right yet, and I have my mic correct now for today's interview. So you don't want to miss this. The visual is on YouTube, but I'm re-recording my intro for you guys here. Today, I have an awesome interview with Diana Baerozales, which I'm sure I just destroyed her name because I'm horrible at names, but she is awesome. It is an hour-long interview, but she is an important person in the space. She not only has written and done market research for R3 and Corda, but she also was a part of the blockchain initiative at Yale. She's been a part of the World Bank. She's been part of the Bank of England. She also sits as an advisor and consultant for the Cyprus money laundering um, initiative that is being launched in the the European Union. So this woman is very important to the space. We talk stablecoins, we talk blockchain, we talk XRP, and we talk Bitcoin. And what she sees and where she believes the stablecoin space is going and where the cryptocurrency space is going. So please tune into this. Uh, watch uh, your ears on it because the volume is not going to be even, but the volume for the intro is fixed now, and I will also try to fix the volume at the end as well. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Why don't we go ahead and dive into this interview now? I hope you guys enjoy it. Talk to you guys soon. Hey, everybody, what is going on? This is your boy, Christian Israel, and you are tuned into the New Creation Capital Podcast. This is a place where we discuss what happens in the world today, the stock market, and yes, digital assets. Where we go one, we go all. This is a new you, a new future, and a new creation. Today, guys, I've got something amazing, awesome, and unique for you. My friend Diana here, I'm not going to butcher her last name, is going to do an interview for us. So let's dive on in and go ahead and introduce her. Diana, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you for having me. Sure. My name is Diana Barrero Zales. <laughs> I know it's long, <laughs> but I'm in the stablecoin space, the blockchain space. First of all, starting a blockchain initiative out of Yale and at the same time building a stablecoin startup and advising an EU parliament on crypto regulations. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. For anybody thank you who for did... having me. Oh, no problem. Uh, for anybody who's not know um, the, the point of the podcast, we kind of mainly focus on digital assets, uh, stable coins, um, just kind of the, the cryptocurrency world uh, and the regulation and the movement forward of that. So the reason I'm having you on is because obviously your background is focused on blockchain and stable coins. So you know that I am an XRP person, right? So we will eventually dive into that. So before we get there, let's naturally take that walk. And tell me more about what you know about stable coins and where do you see that in the future for CBDCs and stable coins? Right. So first of all, I'm going to take a step back. I know you've talked a lot in your podcast about international development institutions and the, the major institutions that are setting a lot of economic policies and, and trends in the world. I used to work for an organization called the Inter-American Development Bank and then briefly for the World Bank, focusing basically, not a lot of people know, so... Uh, I'll go into how these organizations are structured. 
um, a development bank is a basically a club of countries that each agree to pool money into a bank account. Uh, that's why it's a bank. And most of it gets loaned to developing countries. So some of the countries in the club of countries are developed economies, which give money and basically lend money like a bank. And the rest of the countries are, are beneficiary uh, countries, which are developing economies, uh, which uh, borrow the money and eventually pay it back. And they use it for development related um, issues. So back in 2015, I wanna say, right before I was about to leave my job at the Inter-American Development Bank, and get my MBA, uh, there was a publication that really touched me. And I'm going to share my screen um, initially. And um, the reason why it touched me was because I had been dealing with uh, cross-country monetary flows and moving large loans across different countries and often with um, currency conversion component. And I was consistently um, reaching i guess experiencing a lot of inefficiencies and and how moving money across countries doesn't need to be as slow as, as it sometimes is and it doesn't need to be as expensive as it is especially in the world of remittances especially in 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 the world of moving for example like small amounts of money in a seamless way um so i i was gonna um, get my mba and this publication came up it was co-written by the World Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank. There's also an African Development Bank and across institutions. And it was called From Billions to Trillions. And it was basically a reflection of how have we met the goals as, as a global community that had been set in the year 2000, uh, which were the Millennium Development Goals, as a lot of you might remember from many years ago. And it was basically a reflection that if we're going to reflect on the outcome of the Millennium Development Goals and moving forward to meet the, the needs of the world moving forward, we need more engagement with the private sector, with private sector institutions, with banks, with um, essentially the institutions that, that carry most of the money. And how can we forge those partnerships in, in a more inclusive way? So that's where the conversation to me led to market infrastructures. And the fact that we, um, and I'm gonna share another um, visual here, the fact that we really are still operating in a banking system today that has been designed basically during and for the financial, uh, the, the industrial revolution for the trade of of essentially uh, physical assets. So if I was a, a company in, in the United States doing business with, I guess, exporting and importing raw materials with say Ghana or something, I needed a centralized institution to make sure that uh, risk would be controlled, to make sure basically that buyers would pay sellers and, and that sellers would deliver the product. And that's essentially what um, the concept of, of clearing and settlement came to be. And as financial um, products developed further, that same infrastructure came to host the, the trade, not of physical assets, but essentially of increasingly 
complex and intangible financial products. And it's extremely intermediated today. So we take the example of Alice and Bob in, in the world today. If I pay you, I, I'll be Alice and, and you can be Bob. <laughs> if I pay Deal. you money or, or send you anything in, in the world today, my bank has to talk to another centralized bank and intermediary and then your bank has to talk to their their intermediary bank and there's a whole web of intermediaries that come into play and that's slow and that's expensive um in a decentralized system um it's essentially peer-to-peer -peer, and that's that's the difference in market infrastructure and i can say xrp ripple being an early entrant into the space that essentially saw the opportunity of making cross-border payments more efficient uh, and essentially facilitating the movement of funds across different institutions in different countries or even within the same institution um, within countries. Um, so that's what led to a lot of the, um, the talk about if we transition to a decentralized financial market infrastructure, um, based on blockchain potentially um then essentially the flows of funds are probably going to go in, in some sort of stable coin function right now here's a caveat um there's no, there's still no official legal definition of what a stable coin is and we're still figuring it out in in the world as projects get um uh, evolve and, and develop, but but we have an idea. Basically, the the concept of facilitating fund flows in a cheap and real time manner, right? So, question you, for you, real quick. Yeah. So when you say, um, right, we're we're talking about trying to figure out where this goes, and I know you and I discussed on the outside about this new news that just came out with uh, IMF and Davos 2021, their topic. Um, they're talking about some kind of digital great reset, okay? And mm -hmm. so we've also seen some clarity recently in, in, uh, in Canada about cryptocurrency being money, monetary, um, and we're trying to find some clarification specifically with the document that was shared yesterday mentioning SWIFT and Ripple as settlement payments and, and uh, regulatory clarity. So where do you see this going? I mean, we see um, the Nostro Vostro, right? That's the issue with the banks and what we talked about for moving and why it's so expensive. And with the reset being announced yesterday, moving into 2021, do you think we're kind of right there as far as making this blockchain distributed ledger movement of money? Are we there right now? Are we closer? Do you think it's just a lip service because SWIFT doesn't want to flip it over? What do you see in that situation? Well, I can say two things. Initially, stable coins um, have been envisioned and there's been obviously a whole host of, of, of different use cases from financial services, supply chain facilitation, healthcare, and, and main large, large, uh, large scale uses from, from central banks. And we're, we're seeing a lot of the CBDC uh, structures coming into play. I think what a lot of um, global institutions and, and countries across the board are realizing the the need to regulate it in in the right ways. And and there are several initiatives that are underway toward that. Um, and they have been for a while. And I'm going to turn it into this um, um, diagram. Um, I think that a lot of people there has been a bad rap for it's not regulated, it's not um, 
official, it's not credible, but I think that regulators around the world have devoted resources and they have devoted plenty of, of hours of study and, and to really get to understand this, this world. And I, I think, yes, it's underway and, and it's inevitable. And I think that essentially the market for stable coins could essentially be all the money in the world. Um, this, uh, um, this illustration, the money flower from the BIS, um, it includes basically all the different kinds of money. Some of them are digital, some are not, central bank issued or not. Um, and if we think of how these structures are going to come into play, um, it's in development and, and it's very real. And, and I think we'll get there. So you just said something that I'm sure anybody who's watching this right now, my XR people, people who just, who watch this, there's a guy who used to work that came from the CME group and came over to XRP, came to Ripple, right? His name is Miguel Vias. okay? Um, he was about moving the settlement. And then there's a, another guy that was, that made a statement about the type of money that Ripple can move through its XRP distributed ledger. And they make the comment that they can move all the money, okay? And that's a statement that they make consistently. So you said, based on what you said, is that you believe stable coins can move, essentially move all the money. So do you mean including the derivatives market, that the money can all move? Because we heard that R3 and NASDAQ are now, and Corda are now doing things together, right? So when I hear you say all the money, an XRP guy, everyone knows I'm an XRP guy, and there's a whole army and community. Why is it possible for stable coins or something like XRP, maybe you don't agree it could be XRP, but a stable coin or something like XRP, is it really possible to move all the money? Well, you'd need the right infrastructure, and I think we're still underway, right? You need the right um, security. I think right now we're witnessing huge risks in terms of cybersecurity and, and data breaches, and, and that's very real. And, and I think that the world needs to find solutions to that soon in a very proactive way. I will say an example. Uh, in Ecuador um, recently, and it doesn't even come out in the news, um, one of the banks, um, local bank uh, partnered with one of the local fintechs and there was a data breach and for a couple of hours at a time, essentially the identity information of every single Ecuadorian was released to the public. And this happens all the time. And if these problems continue to occur, it's going to really hinder getting it right, right? So, okay, that's interesting because obviously I'm, I, I'm a deep dive researcher and I've never heard of that. So in Ecuador, do you know what they were using? Was it like a CBDC for a local bank that everything exposed, like if someone hacked into, what was it, Equifax? It wasn't even thing? CBDC. It wasn't even blockchain related. It wasn't even that. It was just okay. banks trying to digitize their operations and streamline their processes to be more efficient, uh, getting into a partnership with startups that will streamline processes and the data breach happens because hackers are there and they form a business out of that. So what about these people who say, um, we're already digital, we don't need to go to a stable coin because you open your bank account, it's all numbers, you don't hold the cash. Mm -hmm. So what about this argument that you hear Jerome Powell say for the Federal Reserve, right? We've already been digital. We just 
he literally said on a on 60 minutes recently we just print money we hit a button and we create it out exactly. of thin air well essentially you could say that your bank account and all, all the information from your bank account you can pull it up in an app you you see the digital it you see it in a digital format that doesn't answer the question of the underlying infrastructure behind it and a lot of the um, fintech innovations have been essentially slivers of code on top of existing intermediated and expensive and just as inefficient uh, conventional financial market infrastructures that whether you like it or not today are, are just more trusted that being said um, there's change underway um, I want to show another interesting point um, an organization called Edelman conducts a trust barometer every year and it basically gauges how the public views institutions and we've been seeing increasingly um, a, a reduction in trust in institutions essentially across all industries as you can see here and in the last year there's been erosion of trust mostly in the technology sector. But if you really see the big picture of this, what I wanna highlight here is that financial services comes in last place. People are trusting financial institutions less and less. And how does that make the case for decentralized financial market infrastructures, for um, an infrastructure where I can seamlessly send $2 to, to someone across the world without, it doesn't need to be as expensive as it is, and it doesn't need to be as slow as it is. And it can essentially revolutionize across industries, energy, crowdfunding. One interesting point here that I can say we probably learned from, from the ICO hype and, and what we've seen with that. In the United States, um, there has been a reduction, a, a very significant reduction in access to capital for startups. And if you think that innovation is the catalyst of economic growth in, in many ways, it's economic theory. Uh, innovation improves productivity uh, of a country and improves um, economic competitiveness across the board. Um, yep. So a couple questions, and you can mm -hmm. answer this in the level. So my first question, and then you can, again, my first question is, why do you believe financial services are last in trust, right? And now, obviously, that's to anybody who just opens their mind, they kind of say can answer that. But I want to know your opinion on that. And two, um, why do, do you think the United States is behind, right? And we'll go into the HEROES Act and the CARES Act and the digital Absolutely. dollar and the Fed accounts, because we see people like uh, the, the Bank of France uh, already kind of doing their research. Yeah. You also see the digital yuan, right? The digital yuan has launched their, their platform for mm -hmm. their digital yuan. So why do you think here in america we're behind and untrusted so i just gave you a lot of questions i'll let you answer those and you deem fit if you don't remember what question i'll re-answer it or ask it <laughs> okay i think two things i think um the way that we've seen the reactions to the financial crisis a lot of the stimulus and a lot of the uh, responses have unequally benefited um the wealthier institutions and have created a, a larger divide between wealthy and, and less wealthy parts of society. And here in America, um, I think it was Ray Dalio and several um, 
analyses that show that we have places like New York City, where I'm based and, and very developed, but there, there are pockets that are very underprivileged. We have places here in the United States, like Flint, Michigan, where there's lead in the water and in many economic indicators mirror essentially a, a developing economy in, in pockets of, of the world. So you, you see that economic disparity and you see essentially a hunger for, for more financial inclusivity and equality. You see the, the statistics of, of the percentage of people who are unbanked uh, or underbanked by financial services and that's a huge opportunity that fintechs have have jumped into the space at the same time going into my second point um access to capital has been greatly reduced um in in this country which is why like we're seeing the trend where companies are staying public more and more there's been a decreasing amount of ipos and what does that say um about um essentially funding funding growth, funding development. And that's the reason for the Jobs Act, which I've met David Wheel, I've had him as one of my speakers. Um, he had a great review of, of his years, basically knocking on doors uh, in Capitol Hill in Washington DC and, and getting the right approvals to, to pass the Jobs Act, which um, allows smaller startups to raise capital without um, all the procedures or all the hurdles and, and it facilitates um, access to capital. Um, and I think that uh, transitions to the next point of, of um, stable coins being a potential um, facilitator for, for crowdfunding and, and fund flows. We've learned from the ICO hype, even though there's been a lot of messiness, there's been a lot of scams, there's been a lot of money laundering or, or bad things happening, if, if you will. But Still, we've seen the huge potential to access pockets of capital outside of the conventional venture capital uh, funding flows for, for companies. And, and we've seen that by, by, the by the examples, by the sheer amount of, of um, money that these startups raised. I'm gonna um, turn it to two visuals first. I think we were at a stage at some point in, in blockchain developments where there was uh, a lot of hype and a lot of it was unfounded um, and it's going to level off um, until we see some sort of lessons learned and um, um, sustainable um, innovations. I'm going to turn it to an animation here starting of the ICOs. So why this is moving and shaking, you speak of ICOs, right? And I know, because I've had the pleasure of seeing this ahead of time, we're going to see Telegram pop up, right? Mm -hmm. So Telegram just had some issues with the SEC calling it ICO and that they can't exist as far as the form is concerned, right? The ICO, I think, gave some kind of crazy payback to their, the people who invested. Where do you see okay. ICOs really moving? And I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. Um, yes. Okay, so what do you think about that uh, with Telegram and the SEC saying, no, you're, you're, you're not going to do what you want to do here in America, give all the money back? I mean, we're seeing this struggle think, right now. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to get to uh, once we uh, talk about this, this animation, that out of this messy growth 
where it was outside of regulatory structures, a lot of regulations, obviously they didn't even envision or imagine something like utility tokens would, would come into play, where a lot of these innovations come from the utility token concept. And in the United States, there's a very broad definition of security tokens. And there's been a push toward uh, naming a lot of these innovations uh, securities to, to put them under securities laws. Um, I think in the case of Telegram, there's been the question of whether you apply the securities um, label to, to the component of, of the fundraising or components that were um, the, the raise itself, the ICO itself, or the package of everything that had been done. Um, and that's, I mean, yet to be seen as, as the discussions move forward. But I do know that the, I think it was the Blockchain Association, there were two uh, solid uh, amicus briefs that were uh, produced out of this um, conversation. Um, basically, uh, well, it's, it's going to have to, and it has already started canceling what it has. At, at the other hand, on the other hand, the case of EOS, which also went through the same, well, I don't want to say the same, but um, of regulatory scrutiny. And um, I know the general counsel um, of EOS and how they were able to get around it. Um, and they paid a fine, but it was, it was much, much smaller and they moved forward. And I think these arguments are still gonna go underway. Um, I think there's two lessons learned out of this messy growth. One, we need to get it right. And we need to get it in a compliant and regula regulated way in order for financial services to be more efficient overall. Um, and something like stable coins to streamline the funding flows and uh, whatnot. And second of all, um, out of this, there have been a lot of lessons learned for sustainable innovation in the DeFi world, for example, um, uh, distributed financial services and across the board. I think uh, one big event here had been when Libra came out. Uh, it got the attention of all the global regulators to to really think of the um, um, monetary policy effects, to really think of the financial stability effects that a global stablecoin could entail. And, and it's very real. Uh, we are living in an increasingly, I want to call it multipolar world, where there's no one center of financial services that's going to control all the fund flows today. It's, it's getting increasingly decentralized through the use of technologies and it's not going to go back so a couple things so there's mm -hmm. people who are just listening to this on a podcast so i want to make sure i explain what i'm seeing mm -hmm. so what you have here is something from elements elements.io and it's showing me the token sales from january 2014 until august 2018 and it says total raise is 28 billion 366 million $35,804. That's pretty specific. Now it's broken up by different, looks like countries, continents, and stateless. You have Europe, North America, Asia, the Caribbean, South America, Oceania, Middle East, Africa, and stateless slash unknown. I keep touching my nose because I feel like I need to sneeze. Um, so what I see here is this was talking about looks like token sales or possible stable coins, ICOs. There's a couple things that stick out to me because this is August 2018, January 2014. I see here, and this is just for my my own smiling here. I see Tezos is, is popped up here. I also see EOS, uh, Dragon Chain. 
I also see Huabi. I also see Tron. Um, there was something else that stuck out to me. For those that have come across me recently is Polkadot. Now, this is two years ago, but Polkadot is making some noise right now. Mm -hmm. I also see VeChain, Kyber Network, um, EtherCash, MakerDAO, Ethereum. But what I don't see here, okay, what I don't see here is two coins. XLM, which is, um, what am I blanking? XLM, XLM, uh, Stellar Lumen and Ripple's coin XRP, which puts me right in the thing is, okay, so those are not technically in this pocket. Mm -hmm. So if those are in this pocket, why are we hearing the argument that XRP and XLM are technical people are, you know, Bitcoin people, we'll get into what you think about Bitcoin later, are calling those ICOs, right? Why do they keep calling something like a Stellar Lumen and an XRP Ripple ICOs when even here, they're not mm -hmm. labeled that. Um, are those going to be in the stable coin? Do you think those are stable coin options? Right. I love your point because we're in a place where, where a lot of these definitions, there's, there's no legal consensus. So maybe this is more, this uh, leads more to the, to the side of, of companies that raise money through ICOs, but in the case of Ripple, and you also don't see like um, the, the market infrastructure, like the, um, uh, I want to say like Ripple, I would compare it more to the JP Morgan coin in, in a sense. Uh, and, and the stable coins that essentially could have raised money in, in their ways and probably decentralized ways, but more of a market infrastructure play, right? So you just brought something else and I love, I love that you brought it up and I didn't have to. JP Morgan coin, right? And so um, the JP Morgan coin is supposed to, the way it's supposed to work now, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you put a dollar into the JB Morgan uh, distributed ledger, then they will move it for you within their own distributed ledger. But then why would I go to that if I could just use the dollar? Because then if I go and work with someone else, another bank, right? It, it needs to be, we're talking trust. Mm -hmm. So if I am somebody on the outside and I say, well, let me go ahead and give JP Morgan my dollar, right? And let them move it through their JP Morgan coin. Why would I trust them over a different bank? And why would other banks trust a JP Morgan token when that's only one banking industry or mm -hmm. one part of the banking industry. Why, why, why does that make sense to use a JP Morgan coin if I'm just a normal person? Right. We need a sense of adoption. We need a sense of credibility. We need a sense of security. I think JP Morgan as a mainstream bank does have the reputation of, of, not being a new player in the space and, and having dealt with compliance and regulations. Um, also, there's, there's an element of, of trust, like you say, like who are the members in the network? Who are the members in the consortium that would uh, join the, I guess, IIF of, of, of the JP Morgan coin and, and the level of service, right? And I think that's in your so way. I'm gonna expand on that. So if I'm the ECB, right? Uh, and the Bank of France or the Bank of Brazil, or um, I guess it's more specific, the Bank of India, Santander, these other different banks around the world, why would I, and I'm, I'm going to lead you, right, mm -hmm. to why I'm moving you towards Ripple and XRP and the point of it, but why if I am these other countries, and I know you're familiar with uh, uh, Britain Bank, I forget it, what it is, uh, help me out, you're uh, somewhere in Britain, I There's forgot. So what? <laughs> There's so many. I know. I forget which one, but why would, if I'm those other banking systems, 
Why would I use the JP Morgan coin instead of create my own? Right, right. So the point of XRP and Ripple is that distributed ledger to create a private entity, right? So they can move all of these. So I'm in the, this is what I believe as far as where we're going. And you can, you know, let me know is that all these different entities are going to create their own stable coin to move within their system. But then mm -hmm. in order to get rid of the Nostra Volstra accounts to move mm -hmm. cross border payments, intermittent payments, right? They need to be on a system that they can all trust that has nothing to gain from a different bank making money. Right, absolutely. There's a there's a concept of incentives. Right, incentives, right? So right now we currently have Swift. And mm -hmm. I can send you a text message that you get immediately. I can send you a video you can get immediately. I can send you information and email, all these internet of things immediately. But if I want to send my money, it still takes, and you know, this is not an argument. This is obviously what everyone knows, right? Anyone who pays attention at least, it takes me five, six, seven days for clearance. Mm -hmm. Right, we're on the IOU system, so it costs banks more money to do that. So that's why we're paying twenty-five, forty-five dollars for international transfers. Right. Mm -hmm. So my theory is the reason if I was a bank, I would switch on and use a distributed ledger node and move away from Swift would be not only would my customers pay less, right, but I don't have to hold all this extra money. So now I can unplug the system, make it move easier. And so you're going I, again to immediate fund transfers cheaper. Yeah. So, and if needed, currency conversions. So there has to be a network and there has to be a, a, a wide, wide network of partnerships. There's a network effect to this. There's there's a lot of theoretical Medcalf's law, technology theory, just principles. It's the value of the network being the more participants are in it that's going to make it easier. So if it makes so much sense, right, from just you and I talking and anybody mm -hmm. just makes sense, why are we not doing that? Or what's your right. opinion of why we're not doing it? Right. In a sense, it's a no-brainer, right? I think I go back to regulation and um, regulation and security that we have to get it right. So when you we hear- We cannot afford the level of hacks that, for example, exchanges, uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, only 14% of them are regulated. And a lot of the time, historically, they have operated under money transfer transmitter licenses which have much lighter regulatory obligations for anti-money laundering, compliance overall, KYC, whatnot, you call it. And that essentially, we need a level of trust, right? That's why a lot of these exchanges have been called more trading platforms, more than even, even exchanges, because maybe, maybe they're not, if not, they're not regulated. And we've seen, just look at the numbers, huge amounts of, uh, wash trading, um, price fixing, um, um, spoofing, um, like trading at, at certain hours, like the exchange trading with itself, front running orders across the board. I'm, I'm in a working group with an uh, industry association called Global Digital Finance that uh, basically crowdsources regulations for the space. And we released a document where we compi compiled best practices for, for market exchanges to be more transparent. Um, and that's um, in the process of, of going through public consultation now, but it's a huge issue. And yes, they may operate in, in more disintermediated structures that may be more peer to peer, but, but they're just not regulated. And um, the regulations are, are underway and, and that's going to be a process. So I see you're passionate about that. And that excites me. So um, 
one thing I do know your background is kind of recently you had something going on in, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, in Cyprus with dealing with money laundering. And so what about the people in the crypto space that says, well, if we're going to talk money laundering, right, the U.S. dollar is used to move more money laundering, more drug cartel than anything else, right? I Everyone says that. So this is why it's Bitcoin. And we'll talk about Bitcoin in a little bit, right? But when you're someone who's focused on money laundering in the crypto space, what about the people who say the U.S. dollar? You know, Steve Mnuchin said there's no You got to take a step back and just talk about the risks, frame it as risks overall. And I will say money laundering can be a huge problem. One thing that to me drives me crazy is, is just the sheer level of, in, in the traditional banking system, don't even talk about um, like innovative financial structures. Uh, in the traditional banking system, the sheer amount of false positives that normal banks undergo. Um, it's 90% plus just being nice, often 95 or, or even more false positives, which are transactions that are flagged as illicit. And then when someone does research and, and checks further, they find out that it's actually not illicit, that it's okay and it should go through. And that creates a huge amount of inefficiencies and, and the bad guys just don't get caught. And Partially, it could be because of the information silos that are still underway in, in this um, infrastructure that we operate on that a lot of blockchain developments could, could solve. Um, and, um, well, information silos and, and all the inefficiencies of, of going through all the intermediaries, right? Where you, uh, one big tactic of money launderers is, is creating a lot of different transactions consistently in order to confuse the the regulators and, and just uh, diffuse the, the, their illegal activities, right? So things like uh, layering um, and, and it just doesn't get caught. Uh, I think in the blockchain, um, in a blockchain infrastructure, um, there's talk that it's anonymous and that bad things happen and it, it, does, it doesn't get caught. But really, there have been amazing developments from companies, for example, like CypherTrace, that will trace, it's an immutable ledger, it doesn't change. And, and these regulatory technologies will trace the address of the, the movement of funds to the individual wallets that have held them. And at some point in the process, there is a KYC component. There is a component where a human registers into the trading platform. So you actually can, can trace these fund flows and, and it's not as anonymous and uncontrollable as, as people think. Now, going back to the EU, Cyprus as one of the EU member states, obviously is um, undergoing, um, like, like all of the member states, they're, they're following a lot of the EU-wide directives and initiatives to to regulate these these innovations better right and uh, there is an aml component but if you think what's the size of the crypto market overall it's it's tiny it's only a fraction of the mainstream financial system and a couple of years ago europol uh, came up with a report where it said that even though there have been aml risks in in the crypto space in comparison to the mainstream banking world, it's, it's very small. So, so the risks are, are mostly actually in, in the mainstream banking world. And uh, we'll see how these innovations play out, I'd say.
I had you, I had myself muted. Okay, so this leads me to Bitcoin. All right. China said recently, right, uh, or uh, a person who runs, I forget his name because I, I suck at answering saying names, but the guy that's the head of the Chinese bank, uh, Chinese bank of people's, anyway, the Chinese bank, bank of China. Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. I have so many banks in my head. Um, he said, the reason it's not Bitcoin is because we can't track it, right? And so he said, we're never going to use Bitcoin as a peer-to-peer system, despite what the white paper says Bitcoin is for. Mm-hmm. Um, we also know that Bitcoin, 51% of Bitcoin is mined in China. We also see right now um, Grayscale buying an uncrazy amount mm-hmm. of all Bitcoin mined. We also see the CME purchasing and trading Bitcoin. We also see Bitcoin across the ticker now. When you watch uh, Fox mm-hmm. Business or Fast Money or CNBC, why or why isn't it Bitcoin? For Is it? Okay, let me ask you this. Is Bitcoin the future or is it not the bit? Is Bitcoin the future? And if so, why or why not? Mm-hmm. Well, Bitcoin on the one hand, I would make the difference between its use as a peer-to-peer payment system like the functionality of of the intended use, I guess, in the white paper versus as an investment product where a lot of hedge funds are coming into play and and just investing it for price appreciation. And and there's different lenses that you can approach it with um, in in that sense. Um, And there's been comparisons between Bitcoin being like the digital gold or or the store of value within the crypto asset space, which it has shown to be more, more so than others. Um, I think um, obviously a lot of the concerns uh, point to the level of volatility, the level of speculation. If I buy my coffee with Bitcoin, it might be worth something very different in in a matter of a couple of months. So that takes you back to a more stable source of value and and the concept of stable coins. So you say it could be possibly digital gold, right? So we know the white paper says it's supposed to be a peer-to-peer payment system specifically it doesn't talk about a store of value in there do you think bitcoin's natural inception because of what's happened in the world has made it more of a store of value because gold is a store of value silver precious metals i think so okay it's more of a store of value in the crypto asset space than than a lot of others so here's a crazy question if bitcoin is not peer-to-peer payment but becomes a store of value has it failed its original reason for its creation I don't think so. I think um, it's been a great first use case for for peer-to-peer innovations, and there's been a tremendous amount of innovation that has built off of that concept that it uh, unveiled. I think it still can be used uh, from from the infrastructure itself, and if you think the Bitcoin blockchain being used for for payments and all of the the developments that have used the crypto the Bitcoin blockchain, obviously. There's others and, and the innovations that Ethereum has, has brought into play with smart contracts and, and an ability to, to add other features to, to decentralize transfers of essentially information. Um, it, it's huge. So okay. maybe I would say no, but the trajectory has not necessarily been, who knows what Satoshi planned or like. So this is one of my last questions with Bitcoin, right? Because Bitcoin, I can wash, right? Like you talked about washing of money, money laundering. People can move Bitcoin through washing services. Through layering. 
can, and this is an important question because people in, in the space, Bitcoin maxis, and I'm not a Bitcoin maxi. Now, I do have Bitcoin that I invest in day trade, right? Because I see it as a store of value for now that it's the, just, right now it's the greatest investment asset ever created. It's hard. You cannot deny that. If you bought Bitcoin in 2010 or even bought Bitcoin five years ago, you have made a killing that you can't make anywhere else, right? As far exactly. as- And I think that's the reason why funds are getting into the space more and more. And we're seeing the most recent, um, actually a Bitcoin ETF that came up um, despite the challenges. 3IQ in Canada released a Bitcoin ETF. I think the challenges that a lot of the ETF attempts in the U.S., which have been rejected, uh, have been back to the issue of security. And can you figure out the right um, form of custody? So this is my question. Mm -hmm. Can Bitcoin be banned? I don't think so. I think it could have happened a long time ago. I think it would have happened a long time ago if it was only for money launderers and and, and bad guys, I think, think of what happened to online poker. Like governments can trace IP addresses. Governments can use force and military power if needed, especially across the world in different countries. They could cut the cables and destroy literally any physical infrastructure and, and they could have done it. I think that I will say two things. First, that first, obviously, that they, they haven't, and, and think of all the resources and capital that, that governments, and here in the US definitely, have um, invested to understand this and to be, I would consider, very open to, to fostering these innovations. Even though the regulation didn't envision these innovations, think of all the regulatory sandboxes and, and uh, government participation in these innovations and, and Libra only accelerated the pace of something that was already going on. Um, think of uh, in the US the, the development of something like FinHub, which is essentially fosters a very close engagement between innovators and regulators so that they both understand from each other and work together to collaborate regulated, uh, to produce regulated innovations, right? So, so we say it can't be banned, but it can't be really used as a peer-to-peer, -peer, but it can be a store of value. So let me ask you this. Do you think um, it is dangerous for people to get, now this, now this is not investment advice, right? Let me just make sure this is not, this is more of a conversation you are having. But when I see major players getting in the space, right? Bitcoin was supposed to be about against the banks, right? That was the original. But now we see the banks, are getting involved. You got Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan on the side, all these, then the big institution players, now that they're getting involved, it's becoming crazy uh, centralized, right? It's no longer, this is my personal opinion, right? Not financial advice, I have to say that. <laughs> um, but is this dangerous for Bitcoin? I, I guess it depends on the way you approach it. I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist either. And I think there have been very strong um, opinions about extreme decentralization. But I think we do need adults in the room still. I like how you said that adults in the room. That's because we see, right, um, as a day trader, I see the exchanges. I actually trade based on how much liquidity uh, shorts and longs are in the system. So if there's a bunch of people putting in shorts, which means for those who guys don't know, people who are selling 
I can see, we expect the exchange to pop it up and no one thinks it's buying. Everyone knows it's the exchange. It's part of the wild, wild west of, of, of trading. So Bitcoin maximalists will say, well, it's going to take us to the next subject, that Bitcoin is the only coin that matters. Nothing else. Everything is a scam, right? Now, I'm an XRP, Ripple, XLM, Hedera, Hashgraph, Link, VeChain. I think all these others are going to be in the ecosystem, especially as we look at your chart here. Um, what else should we be looking out for before we talk? We're going to end this conversation in the XRP world. We're going to. But before we go there, if it's, if, is it only Bitcoin? Is it other stuff? And so what else should we be looking at? I think especially in the world today with what's happening with, with social unrest and, and the virus. And, and when I have two articles that I could show first, um, somewhat recently, the stablecoin activity having grown explosively. And another commentary where the CEO from Circle, one of the main stablecoins, has said that recently there's been almost a doubling in, in the demand for their stablecoin. And if you look at the um, usage here, um, called double digit growth, um, according to CoinMetrics, USDC's market cap um, has jumped 65%. Um, and you can see the graph here, which just shows an increase in demand, mostly and a huge jump since, since March, which is today. And we're seeing increased pushes toward decentralized systems, right? It's so, not just Bitcoin, which absolutely has a lot of investment metrics that are increasingly covering it and are increasingly recognizing its value. Um, but at the same time, um, again, the, the lenses of, of seeing something as an investment and seeing something for, for its functionality as well um, and, and the world of different stablecoins. Oh, make sure I keep muting myself. Okay, so... Um, that you've discussed on stablecoins and its growth of 800%, but immediately I thought of, now I know you have some connections to the IMF, correct me if I'm wrong, there are some kind of connections through the people you know or the research you've done, and, and we have this, this thing called special drawing rights, mm -hmm. right, that is focused on the U.S. dollar and the stability of the U.S. dollar, but we see also, we talked about the Great Reset and it moving towards with the United Nations, IBM is connected there as well. Mm -hmm. We also see some of these other countries. Well, IBM has focused on the growth of greener. I think it's greener, feral, digital was kind of their topics. But the IBM is focused on uh, a stable coin and, and the creation of stable coin through XLM and Stellar Lumen. And yeah. so where do you see, because there's a direct connection there with special drawing rights, buying up debt. The IMF is buying up debts of smaller countries right now. Mm -hmm. And and in this, so how do we see possibly a global one global stablecoin using the special drawing rights, say like a a Stellar at XLM? Do you see this as a real possibility? That's a, definitely a possibility. Okay, so people, did you hear that? It's not. She's not saying yes. She's saying it's a possibility. So we're not crazy. Now let me ask you this. Okay, so XLM. I I personally, this is just my own research. I think the special drawing rights is going to be XLM because XLM is pegged to the US dollar, which is pegged to the I, uh, I, IBM, paid to the United Nations, which is pegged to the, the World Bank, Bank of International Settlements, all those things to move. Now there's something has to move all of those things on a distributed ledger. And now let's talk XRP, let's talk Ripple. And so 
you have some relationships with R3 and Corda and kind of that. Why don't you tell me before we dive in kind of your connection to R3 Corda, uh, possible Ripple, or what your connections may or may not be in these subjects so people know you're not just some random woman talking about these things. Well, I published a market research report with R3 on stablecoins um, and the use of stablecoins for payments. Um, and the concept, I guess, Corda, obviously a consortium, there's um, a difference between public and private ledgers and R3's Corda being a private, no, uh, sorry, uh, uh, um, more um, permissioned type ledger. Um, it's not public, sorry, I misspoke. Um, that is designed for the use of institutions and among them mainstream banks. Uh, the concept being that a lot of the structures of public blockchains like the Bitcoin blockchain where the identities of the individuals are anonymous but the details of the transactions are public, that's not necessarily ideal for mainstream business transactions because in the corporate world if i'm a business and you're another business and i'm 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 working on a deal with you we want the name of my legal entity and the name of your legal entity to be transparent and open right but we don't want to say the details of the negotiation and the transactions necessarily that's that's more con confidential information so those are some of the um, modifications uh on top of the public blockchain concept that um, R3 Corda has been pioneering in, in very interesting ways to precisely facilitate this type of, of innovations and processes so that financial institutions in specific, among others, can benefit from a more decentralized and efficient um, money transfer system. Awesome. So now that we know that, let's go back to that um, statement here with the Great Reset. Davos 2021, we've got COVID-19, we've got riots all over the world. For people who don't just turn on CNN or Fox News in the States, they're going on all over the world right now. Mm -hmm. So we have this market stability. You got the stock market back above, for those who know, the 0.786 who follow me, I'm a Fibonacci guy, right? Back, heading back towards all-time highs. You got job markets here, job markets there. This is insane, right? With this going, and uh, uh, Christina Jorbajilovi, yeah, KG of the IMF, saying this is a push for digital. What time frame, and this is going to be our last thing, because I appreciate your time, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank you. What do you think about a time frame? When do you think? Do you think it's going to be a flip of the switch? And then, not saying you're saying this, Stellar, XL, XRP, all these things are, are flooded the market. Or do you believe this is... Um, because and now I know we don't see this, and my mind's all over the place. But Entity Data released something to, recently about this being the age of the digital asset. Between 20 and 25 is when everything is implemented. Then 25, and by 2030, they believe everyone will be a digital. Uh, everything will be a digital tokenization. All these things. If you were to see a time frame based on your concepts and where you're at and what you've seen, what do you think? Are we in the beginning of the race, or are we at the end of the race? I think we're at the end of, uh, at the tail end and probably the beginning of the next stages, but um, of, of the messy ICO where there was a lot of innovation and it was not regulated and bad things going on and people becoming aware that actually you can do something about these innovations and let's explore further and, and let's see what central bank digital currencies look like and, and the 
the current events that we're, we're seeing are, are only accelerating and pushing this forward. And it could be a matter of decades, um, most likely. Um, maybe it could be a matter of one decade, but um, think of what happened, for example, I like to use the example of Africa in, in financial innovation and granting money to unbanked and un underbanked populations in a way that just completely skipped the, the banks and, and the fact that most people in many countries have a, a mobile phone, even if they don't have electricity or water or, or the way that technologies can just jump um, very quickly if, if there's a clear need and, and getting compliance right um, and, and decentralized finance in, in the right ways, uh, it could be quicker than we think. I think the time, time frame that you mentioned could make sense, but um, these things could, could move quicker. And, and then again, the network effects that build on each other. Okay, this is for sure my last question. Um, everyone wants to know, you're in the space, right? And I'm sure they're thinking it as I'm thinking it. Do you invest in cryptocurrency? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on, Diana. I really, really appreciate your insight. Is there anything last that you might want to talk about that we have not covered yet? I love this conversation. Thank you. Okay, well, hopefully I would love to have you on again and we can take the next time, okay? So mm -hmm. thank you very, very much for being here today. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, guys, I hope you really enjoyed that interview. Like I said, you are listening right now on an audio podcast. This is Apple, right, so Apple Spotify, um, Google Play, the Anchor platform, of course. So I had to re-record this so the audio sounds better here than it does on YouTube. So the visuals on YouTube, but the audio is better. As always, I'm not going to uh, rush through. Thank you guys for subscribing. Thank you guys for being a part of the channel. We're at 400 subscribers now. And as always, before I close out, I got to read your scripture to you. Today's scripture is from Isaiah, I mean, from Jeremiah 10, starting at verse 5, that says, Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They cannot do any harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you? Kings of nations, this is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. So thank you guys so much. I truly appreciate your support and helping me while this I have these audio issues. Ever since I did the Sunday scriptures talking about how the enemy is working in today's society, my mic has gone splat. So I think I have figured this out and I think we are moving forward. So just thank you guys so much for all that you do. I truly appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. Please like and subscribe if you like this channel. Uh, please, if you're on Apple Podcasts, right, rate this, rate the station, uh, get the, the algorithm going. I truly appreciate your guys' support right now. Um, there's a lot of things going on at XRP. I talked about that in the live stream last night in the Christ and Crypto part of Part 4A, XRP, the, long, the last mile. So go listen to that on YouTube. The audio is not as bad, but I think I have fixed it all. So I appreciate you guys uh, bearing with me, okay? So besides that, guys, I will go ahead and sign out. Um, thank you again to Diana for her interview. I really appreciate her. She is an amazing soul and person and very intelligent in this space. So make sure that you listen to the interview. Again, if you got questions, we are and we will be doing a part two. Okay. So with that said, this is your boy Christian Israel and you are tuned into the New Creation Capital Podcast. 
This is the place where we discuss what happens in the world today, the stock market, and yes, digital assets. Where we go one, we go all, guys. This is a new you, a new future, and a new creation. Until next time, guys, this is not financial advice, right? But make sure you buy low and sell high and pack those bags, guys. All right. Until next time, guys, peace and love. God bless everybody. Later. Later.